uh, I had I had written two novels uh, back in the late 60s and early 70s, and then I started. Uh, I, I had one of these horrible revelations in which I decided that I didn't know nearly enough about writing to be passing myself off as a novelist. So I started writing, I quit novelizing and started uh, writing short stories and eventually turned to journalism as an area. And th this was not with the idea that I was quitting writing, it was with the idea that I was out there trying to learn. As one of those people who didn't listen in sixth grade, I had a lot of uh, making up to do. And, and it was uh, about, it was 19... Uh, 79 uh, in June, two years after I got back to Portland and had begun to meet a lot of writers, that I uh, began to write Geek Love. And I'm just going to uh, read from the first page and the first chapter and go on like that a little bit, very briefly. This first chapter is called The Nuclear Family, His Talk, Her Teeth. And I should explain that in geek love, the, the word geek is not used to mean a personality defect as the, as the colloquial language has come to use that, that term. This is using the word geek as its specific carnival meaning, which is that character in a carnival sideshow who entertains the crowd by biting the heads off live chickens. And there are variations on this, of course. There, there are geeks who uh, simply stick python heads down their throats. But there are geeks who also, in a, in a very wasteful manner, bite the heads off garter snakes or rats or so on and so on. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne did not come out of nowhere. There is a historic tradition uh, for this. And this book is basically the, the, the history of, of a carnival, a family of carnival owners who decide to cut back on their overhead by breeding their own freak show. So um, this chapter opens with the family sitting around the, the family, the traveling van at night. And the children who are spoken of in, in the introduction or in, in this section are Arturo, who's the aqua boy. He has no limbs, only flippers instead of arms and legs. And Ellie and Iffy are Electra and Iphigenia, the Siamese twins, who are perfect, beautiful young women uh, from the waist up, but they share one set of hips and legs. And our narrator is Olympia, the bald albino hunchback pygmy girl. And Chick is the, uh, the child who is born to apparent normalcy, to the great disappointment of his parents, but who has a special gift. But this begins, uh, the nuclear family, his talk, her teeth. When your mama was the geek, my dreamers, Papa would say, she made the nipping off of noggins such a crystal mystery that the hens themselves yearned toward her, waltzing around her, hypnotized with longing. Spread your lips, sweet lil, they'd cluck, and show us your choppers. But this same crystal lil, our star-haired mama, sitting snug on the built-in sofa that was Artie's bed at night, would chuckle at the sewing in her lap and shake her head. Don't piffle to the children, Al. Those hens ran like whiteheads. Nights on the road this would be, between shows and towns in some campground or pull-off with the other vans and trucks and trailers of Benuski's Carnival Fabulon ranged up around us, safe in our portable village. After supper, sitting with full bellies in the lamp glow, we Benuskis were supposed to read and study, but if it rained, the story mood would sneak up on Papa. The hiss and tick on the metal of our big living van distracted him from his papers. Rain on a show night was catastrophe. Rain on the road meant chalk, which for Papa was pure pleasure. 
It's a shame and a pity, Lil, he'd say, that these offspring of yours should only know the slumming summer geeks from Yale. Princeton, dear, Mama would correct him mildly. Randall will be a sophomore this fall. I believe he's our first Princeton boy. It's one of the conceits of the novel is that all of the all of the geeks, the regular geeks in the carnival, are college boys run away uh, from uh, Ivy League schools during the summer. We children would sense our story slipping away to trivia. Artie would nudge me and I'd pipe up with, tell about the time when Mama was the geek. And Artie and Ellie and Iffy and Chick would all slide into line with me on the floor between Papa's chair and Mama. Mama would pretend to be fascinated by her sewing. And Papa would tweak his swooping mustache and vibrate his tangled eyebrows, pretending reluctance. Well, he'd begin, it was a long time ago, before we were born. Before, he'd proclaim, waving an arm in his grandest ringmaster style, before I even dreamed you, my dreamless. I was still Lillian Hinchlet in those days, mused Mama, and when your father spoke to me, which was seldom and reluctantly, he called me Miss. Miss, we would giggle. Papa would whisper to us loudly, as though Mama couldn't hear. Terrified. I was so smitten I'd stutter when I tried to talk to her. Miss, I'd say. And we would giggle helplessly at the idea of Papa, the great talker, so flummoxed. I, of course, addressed your father as Mr. Banuski. There I was, said Papa, hosing the old chicken blood and feathers out of the geek pit on the morning of July 3rd and congratulating myself for having good geek posters, telling myself I was going to sell tickets by the bale because the weekend of the 4th is the hottest time for geeks and I had a fine, brawny geek that year, enthusiastic about the work he was. So I'm hosing away, feeling very comfortable and proud of myself, when up trips your mama looking like angel food and tells me my geek has done a flit in the night folded his rags, as you might say, and hailed a taxi for the airport. He leaves a note claiming his pop is very sick, and he, the geek, must retire from the pit and take his fangs home to Philadelphia to run the family bank. Brokerage, dear, corrects Mama. And with your Mama, Miss Hinchliffe, standing there like three scoops of vanilla, I can't even cuss. What am I going to do? The geek posters are all over town. It was during a war, darlings, explains Mama. I forget which one, precisely. Your father had difficulty getting help at that time, or he never would have hired me even to make costumes as inexperienced as I was. So I'm standing there fuddled from breathing Miss Hinchliffe's midnight marzipan perfume and cross-eyed with figuring. I couldn't climb into the pit myself because I was doing 20 jobs already. I couldn't ask Horse the Catman because he was a vegetarian to begin with, and his dentures would disintegrate the first time he hit a chicken neck anyway. Suddenly, your mama pops up for all the world like she's offering me sherry and biscuits. I'll do it, Mr. Beninsky, she says, and I just about sent a present to my laundryman. Mama smiled sweetly into her sewing and nodded. I was anxious to prove myself useful to the show. I'd been with Beninsky's Fabulon only two weeks at the time, and I felt very keenly that I was on trial. So I says, interrupts Papa, but miss, what about your teeth? Meaning she might break them or chip them. And she smiles wide just like she's smiling now, and says, They're sharp enough, I think. We looked at Mama, and her teeth were white and straight, but of course, by that time, they were all false. I looked at her delicate little jaw, and I just groaned, No, I says, I couldn't ask you to, but it did flash into my mind that a blonde and lovely geek with legs, and I mean, your Mama has what we refer to in the trade as legs, would do the business no real harm. I'd never heard of a girl geek before, and the poster possibilities were glorious. And then I thought again, no, 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 she couldn't. 
What your papa didn't know was that I'd watched the geek several times, and of course I'd often helped Minna, our cook at home, when she slaughtered a fowl for the table. I had him. He had no choice but to give me a try. Oh, but I was scared spitless when her first show came up that afternoon. Scared she'd be disgusted and go home to Boston. Scared she'd flub the deal and have the crowd screaming for their money back. Scared she'd get hurt. I mean, a chicken could blink and scratch her, peck an eye out, anything. I was quite nervous myself, nodded Mama. The crowd was good. A hot Saturday, that was, and the 4th of July was the Sunday. I was running like a geeked bird the whole day myself and just had time to duck behind the pit for one second before I stood up front to lead in the mugs. There she was, like a butterfly. Well, I wore tatters, really, white, because it shows the blood so well, even in the dark of the pit. But such artful tatters, such low-necked, silky, slit-to-the-thigh tatters, I took a deep breath and went out to talk them in. And in they went, a lot of soldiers in the crowd. I was still selling tickets when the cheers and whistles started inside. And then the whooping and stomping on those old wood bleachers drew even more people. I finally grabbed the popcorn kid to sell tickets and went inside to see for myself. Papa grinned at Mama and twiddled his mustache. I'll never forget, he chuckled. But I couldn't growl, you see, or snarl convincingly, so I sang explained Mama. Happy little German songs in a high, thin voice. Franz Schubert, my dears. She fluttered around like a dainty bird, and when she caught those ugly, squawking hens, you couldn't believe she'd actually do anything. When she went right ahead and geeked them, that whole larruping crowd went bonzo wild. There never was such a snap and twist of the wrist such a vampire flick of the jaws over a neck, or such a champagne approach to the blood. She'd shake her star-white hair, and the bitten-off chicken head would skew off into the corner while she dug her rosy little fingernails in and lifted the flopping, jittering carcass like a golden goblet and sipped, absolutely sipped at the wriggling guts. She was magnificent a princess, a Cleopatra, an elven queen. That was your mama in the geek pit.